0: everyone, welcome back to the Wisdom Collective. I'm here with Paul Pastor. Paul is an author and, and you do, well you've been doing a number of things. You, you obviously have authored a handful of books, but why don't you tell some folks what you've been up to?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. First of all, thanks for having me here, Adam. It's really a pleasure. Um, yeah, I'm a book guy. The way that my wife and I say it is, <laughs> we get to live in the woods and make books. So my day job is as an editor for a couple of Christian imprints of Penguin Random House. Um, so I acquire books, I develop them, and um, hopefully land them somewhere on or around the New York Times bestseller list. That's obviously what we're all trying to do in that business goal, to sell yeah. well. Um, but our team also has a really strong mission focus of wanting to publish resources for Christians that are rich and deep and maybe even a few of tomorrow's classics. So with that day job, I'm working for the largest global publisher of books in the world and getting to Uh, getting the opportunity to really engage with conversations um, at that special national level uh, that comes with being part of a large press. Then there's a bunch of other fun stuff, my author side and my side project author side, and that really comes out in what we're talking about today, which includes The Face of the Deep, which is my first book being re-released this month from David C. Cook. Um, but but originally came out in 2016. We can talk about that in a minute. Uh, then I also have a small series of devotional books that are sort of um, Lectio Divina, uh, f- very poetic. I don't know quite how to describe them but they're this very poetic way of like initiating my own dialogue with God the Father uh, and sort of putting that on display to help other people too. Those are called it, The Listening a, Day.
0: It's a help, dude. Those Listening Day series books, it, it truly is a help. It's, it's phenomenal.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm really glad. So there's about half of that project that's been released right now. The other half of the project, the second two volumes, are still a bit in publishing limbo. We're figuring out the best way to bring them out uh, as an entire book, but those are available too. And then I have some side project stuff. I've got a contract for my first book of poetry on the more kind of artsy-fartsy side, pardon me, but uh, the, the uh, more literary side that uh, is going to come out in the first half of uh, next year, 2021, um, and, and I'm always up to something, that's for sure, but yeah. in terms of the book stuff, that's, a, that's an overview of who I am and what I do. Yeah. Do you, do you ever
0: feel like a level of guilt about not being like a professional Christian, like becoming a pastor with your last name like you have?
1: <laughs> guilt? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I've been a pastor. I, you know, I went through seminary. I have my master's in exegetical theology. I've worked on staff at a church, although I will note never with a pastoral title. Um, I am a pastor in my, like, there's, there is a part of my soul that is a pastor's soul that wants to help so. and guide and feed people. Yeah but it is very different. So the term I used to use is grassroots pastor, which is, is this idea of a pastor who has some sort of call, some sort of training, some sort of shepherding ability, but isn't engaged with a specific congregation. That term, I don't know, it's, it's too much work to explain these days, yeah. but, but I do try and work in those ways. Uh, but personally, um, you know, the spiritual ecosystem of uh, a society needs lots of different functions right and some of them definitely need to be pastors but some of them need to be the people who can't quite be pastors because they need to support the pastors they need to be engaged with the pastors or they need to just be for better or worse able to rove around and ask questions that are just difficult for pastors to ask because of their role Uh, i've come to see as i get older that that's part of my role to take the gifts of a seminary-trained person who loves God's people and wants to serve God's people and the wider community for the common good, and wants to do that in just some ways that might look less traditional.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and all kidding aside, you, yeah, you, you, I don't know, like what, what, how you would see it in your gift mix, but you definitely have a pastoral role. I mean, your writing definitely it leads it leads people to God. That's for sure, and it definitely can shepherd. That's for sure. So. There's um, much more to pastoring, but it um, it's doing that. I really think it is.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I yeah. hope it's doing it for myself first. That's always my goal.
0: But that's what's so good. I I, re- I really think when I when I read either uh, the face of the deep, Div- I've read most of. I can't remember which one was first, but what the red copy of the listening day, whichever <laughs> one that was. Yeah, that's <laughs> the first one. one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, that's what it feels like. But it feels like. And, and i wish actually a lot of preaching could do that more often be an invitation like into uh seeing someone's connection with god and letting that letting that inspire a living right mm-hmm. which is so much what we wanted to talk about today like living your life into god right and, and so much about like how, how does the spirit work out um toward helping us abide in god and so i want to i want to talk about so much of that we want to i want to look at some of a, a broader overview of kind of the spirit throughout the scriptures. But before we do that, you wrote this book, The Face of the Deep. It was your first book, like you said. Um, why, why did you write this book on the spirit? And what makes it different from typical books on the spirit and all the rest? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. Well, you know, the first words that um, went into this book were written over a decade ago. Gosh, now, as I look back, uh, and they just began as some just personal meditations on relationship with God. and gradually, I realized that the types of questions that I was asking were all um were all basically grouped into two categories and by and by questions I'm asking, I mean like spiritual questions that are lingering over the course of more than one season of your life, the type of thing that like you're is just in the front of your head and yeah. like you're thinking about it in church and you're going to in my case uh, you know seven years of higher theological education and all this stuff and these basic 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 kindergarten level questions <laughs> are still lingering right yeah. one of them being where is god and then the other much more difficult to boil down and phrase basically why is my experience of god when i walk into a church feel so sharply different and less deep, like more one dimensional mm-hmm. than when I'm encountering God's spirit in creation, uh, in art, in these various aspects of culture. It felt like there was this artificial divide or divorce between what I was experiencing in church. If I was really being honest, I yeah. knew I couldn't really you know, tell most of the pastors in my life this because it would hurt their feelings. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but let's be honest I would like if I wanted to restore my soul and go sabbathing. I would go into the woods I would go and uh, hang out at the Portland Art Museum I would go to a rock show like these are the moments where I was experiencing something that was nameless and yet deeply nourishing for my soul Mm -hmm. and I was asking why isn't that supposed to be what's happening in church why does what I'm feeling here in these Christian communities feel like a one-dimensional echo of that and Um, The basic integration and permission um, that I felt and began to feel for that (laughs) all was centered on the person and the theology of the spirit. Um, Mm. The spirit's work is the place where Christianity gets to throw the doors and windows open, yell out the windows of the house. Hey, everybody, no matter where you're from, who you are, what you've done, we've all met God. Let's talk about that first. It's so notable that uh, Paul's work with the Romans, uh, Paul's work uh, on Mars Hill, like when he's speaking most directly to the broader community, intellectually and spiritually, it's very quiet. But if you pick at those storylines and threads, you find it's God's spirit In in creation, the things we all share and deeply get to experience that That is the beginning of a healthy spiritual life. Even pre-conversion, Paul is able to stand up among the philosophers of Athens and say, as some of your own poets have said, we are all his offspring, right? Mm -hmm. He made us all. And then second, in him, we live and move and have our being. And that's a very complex, deeply
0: spiritual.
1: mysterious, yeah. yes, Adam, exactly. It's deeply spiritual. Yeah. And that sounds really woo-woo or pantheistic, or we can already hear all the, all the little reasons that we shouldn't actually take that at face value. But historic Christianity does take that at face value. So wherever we land on the theological spectrum, we have to start from the assumption that Christianity is a faith in which God's Holy Spirit so saturates our reality that simple life becomes an act of holiness, and growing in our sanctification means learning to live with more awareness of the presence of God that is already there. And that's what the face of the deep is. The recurring metaphor that I have for God's interaction with creation through the Spirit is that of You know, from the first chapter of Genesis, that very first primal story, the spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep in the King James, the face of the waters or the chaotic waters or the dark waters or whatever your translation says, it's the same idea. Mm -hmm. The basic metaphor is the primal stuff of life, the the good darkness, the holy mystery, the spirit starts there and begins to call things out of it. Uh, the book itself, um, and I'm going on and on here, but... No, this is great. Dude. I'm assuming a good darkness. That's you that's
0: deep. No, that's good. Keep going.
1: Yeah, yeah the, the good darkness, the darkness in which God dwells and potential dwells and wisdom dwells and um, stewards her gifts for creation. Um, out of that came basically, you know, as I learned more, read more, studied more, and just tried to live in a slightly more aware way not bringing my rational theological inquiry as the first thing that I would use to engage with this spirit in this world. Uh, What arose was a project that consisted of two sections, basically old Testament and new Testament. And then of those seven um, essays in each creative nonfiction essays, I was reading a lot of Annie Dillard at the time. I just listened (laughs) to this um, and and I still just love it. you know these seven what i call seven stars and seven lampstands coming off of these images from revelation yeah uh, the spirit's work in creation the spirit's work in creativity the spirit's work in prophecy the spirit's work in the life of the messiah the spirit's work to restore all things the spirit's work essentially at pentecost and for unification and we can go on and on about mm-hmm. what those are but they're the 14 key things that i think Come when you bring together this idea of the closeness of god 's spirit with biblical and historic understandings of who yeah. the spirit is and what the spirit does, and I, it was just fun, man, like it brought yeah. things to life in such a special way mm-hmm. um, and of course yeah. there 's art involved, and uh, you know a high level of kind of poetic writing involved as well and it 's an experience but uh, but yeah. that 's essentially. <laughs> Well, and some of that's you and
0: your your style and everything, but there's something to that, man. That I mean, even just at a simplistic level, there's a, um, I don't want to knock this too hard. There's a, I think there's a good faith, like reverential like vibe that some people have when they talk about God and or the spirit. And so that inspires some of that fear you were talking about, about the, well, I don't want to get too woo, you know, and I don't want to get, like, it feels new agey and, and all the rest. Um, I've I've experienced that even in trying to, understand personally but then trying to articulate as well um the idea of like ruach and, and like this idea of this this hebrew like word and metaphor for spirit mm. being this like breath and like in life and the wind and all the rest the way jesus talks about the spirit right mm-hmm. and it's like and but even in trying to talk about it like that it kind of uh wakes people out i think well there's a bunch of reasons i mean maybe it's because we're in this like post-enlightenment kind of uh hyper-rational world that we live in right but there is a fear there that like, well, are you just saying that God's spirit is just the wind, you know, and that these were just pre-modern people? And it's like, no, no, I'm saying there's <laughs> like a, a deeper spirituality to the whole world, you know, I <laughs> think, I think, you know, and, and it's, it's, you spoke earlier about um, Paul being able to, it, it actually, rather than leading us to a place of like no religion, it actually allows us to articulate our faith essentially to everybody, because there's these great universals at work Mm. with the Spirit, right? Um, Mm. There's this, Paul's able to look at art, and you're doing it, um, Paul the Apostle, but you're doing it as Paul the grassroots pastor. You're able to pull in, like, art and and literature, and I remember remember one time I heard you talk, and I got so excited, because I, I you mentioned like walking into churches and having some experiences. So often I walk into churches or I work in a church as well. Right. But I walk into churches and um, so much of what I'm reading and interacting with that is giving me those religious experiences. I'm going to interview you in a second, but I, you inspired so much thought. Yes, go, <laughs> let's do this. There's, there's, so for, first thing is I got, I got saved in more of a charismatic um, but a mega church vibe uh, church. Right. And um there was so much, I'm not, there was a lot of great things there, but one thing they would try to do is try to almost over-engineer or engineer uh, at the worship level, like worship being the sing-song mm-hmm. part of worship, kind of engineer mm-hmm. that rock show vibe. You mentioned going to like a concert. <laughs> but yeah. What's insane is when you go to a concert, you don't have to tell people, raise your hands. You don't have to like, you don't have to walk them through the liturgy, basically. It mm-hmm. just sort of happens, right? There's mm-hmm. an experience going on there and there's something about, um, yeah, a lot of churches will try and engineer that stuff. And and that always felt odd to me. And then also so much of what I was reading and interacting with, it was giving me those worshipful experiences. Um, oddly enough, even something like Nietzsche at the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, at one point, I don't remember what it even was for, but you were, you were speaking at something and you quote it. You're like, and we're going to quote Nietzsche a few times at the end if that's okay. And I was like, Mm -hmm. this is phenomenal. You know, this (laughs) is like, but you're, because you're speaking, uh, and I, I came from outside I didn't grow up in the church either. Right. And so you were almost speaking my language, so to speak. And it was yeah. phenomenal. And, uh, and it wasn't like a kitschy thing. You weren't dunking on Nietzsche. You were really like, you quoted him like an anonymous, good faith way. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And so, um, I think there's something in what you're talking about here where, um, we'll get more into this later, but the, the idea that I think so many of us, when we, we talk about the spirit, we, you talked about some very basic kind of kindergarten level questions, you know, like you said, like very basic questions about God. Mm. And uh, so many of us, uh, we have these lofty uh, kind of seminary level questions about God. Mm. Um, your book, it, it invites you into an experience. So, I mean, we talked about why you wrote the book. There's a deep personal level to it. What were you hoping people would get from it? Because mm. um, you, yeah, you spoke to me just now, but I've, I've learned a lot from you just hearing you a few times mm. over the years. So. Yeah, that's, that's what awesome. People would get from this book
1: awareness. Yeah, yeah, a new kind of awareness of of the presence that's there. Uh, I think the, so. I'll tell you what this book isn't trying to be, and I say this pretty clearly in the in the note to the reader at the beginning. This book is not trying to be a thorough uh, theological discussion of the spirit. It is theological, that's for sure. Yeah, but yeah. it's not trying to. It's not trying to be. Uh, a replacement for a seminary text. And it's actually going to be really profoundly frustrating and dissatisfying if you read it that way. Uh, ironically enough, like if you go online and poke around and I, I try not to read my own reviews or comments on my work. I really, I really try hard not to do that because if you believe the good stuff, you'll believe the bad stuff. Yeah, but um, a good but, but, um, I But I'm a little heartened by the number of one and two star reviews of this book because nearly all of them were somebody is not like, came later than expected or you know that those type of like just
0: why didn't you review my book like yeah yeah, yeah. exactly (laughs) talk to amazon Uh, yeah yeah.
1: come on um people are just something sometimes but uh, um what nearly all of them are are this wasn't what i wanted i wanted somebody to tell me um what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. I wanted somebody to help me understand the range of evangelical positions on tongues or Christian position on tongues, Um, you know? And instead they got the slightly hallucinogenic ramblings of this (laughs) Northwestern guy who's like climbing mountains and jumping into lakes and it's all very different. And I think the execution of it is beautiful. It can speak to you at a level that's different. Um, But I do think that that is part of um, the problem with with our spirituality as Christians very often is that we're working with basically a third of what we've been given. Um, And by that, I mean Christianity as a rational exercise or Christianity as an exercise that has to pass everything through its rationality before it's able to do anything with it. Human beings are absolutely people of the mind. Mental exercise is good. Learn, study, um, study formal logic and, you know, tweak your syllogisms and uh, get down with algebraic everything. Like, go for those types of things. And when it comes to theology, do systematic theology and take an organized approach that tries to synthesize your belief and be consistent and articulate things accurately and beautifully and consistently with orthodoxy, yet with an eye towards where we are right now. Do all those things, but don't forget that you also have a heart and don't forget that you also have a gut. And something I've been thinking a lot about is those are the three systems, brain, physically, the three systems, the brain, the heart, and our stomachs that all contain neural networks. They pass and process information between themselves, but also within ourselves. And so when you hear somebody say, I need to follow my heart here and we dismiss that as sort of a late 90s Disneyism, right? There's an aspect in which it could be a late 90s Disneyism, and the worst thing imaginable for this person, yeah. but there are some times where your heart knows something the rest of you doesn't, because love and feeling is teaching you something. That's valid, that yeah. can be from God. It doesn't mean it has to be or is, but it can be.
0: Mm-hmm. Same
1: with the gut, someone says, my gut on this says, and that's sort of our catchphrase, but it's speaking to something real. So my question is, how do we learn to know God with the gut? How do we learn to know God with the heart? We're great on the mind right now. In general, there are some communities, especially like fringe charismatic communities that aren't so great on the, on the rational side. Okay, they need to build that up. But speaking stereotypically to the tribe that I was welcomed into when my family came to faith, which is more of the conservative evangelical persuasion. We were not you know, Christians when I was very young, but entering this, um, entering this type of community, speaking to that tribe, guys, we've got the brain. We've got that covered. Yeah. We do a lot of reading. Look at the bookshelf of the average churchgoer in sort of, you know, the, the engaged churchgoer. Yes. Yeah. And it looks like a pastor's bookshelf or a seminarian's bookshelf. Yes. Wonderful, good, keep doing that. Read those books, fuel your mind, pursue God with those thoughts. But if it begins getting you stuck, if it begins getting you divorced from the experience of life, from the experience of human life, if you begin to become, this is a loaded term, a textbook overthinker, you yeah, see my yeah, double yeah. entendre there. For sure. yeah. If you're a Good. textbook overthinker as a result of this inquiry, press pause on it. Go outside and meditate while you're eating an apple and just watch the interior of the apple as you eat it. <laughs> Go outside, watch the patterns of clouds for a few minutes. Try to, you know, try to lean into that experience of life. Um, And that's the orientation that I'm interested in, because I think those things can become theology too. It's not automatic. Yes, I understand all the what ifs and what abouts that people will say when I say something like that. But my guess is some of the most potent moments we've all had with God are those body moments or those heart moments where our mind is integrated as a support to this larger experience. And that's what I want to give permission. That's in this book what I want to give permission to do by sort of setting the example and saying, here's how this has looked for me. I want you to feel the goodness of that. I want you to believe that you were made in the image of God, that you were redeemed by the blood of God's son And you have been sealed and anointed with the spirit of that son into the body of Christ. And that now, whatever else was in your past or in your present right now, your future has this kind of weight and joy and authority and paradoxical lightness and honesty that allows you to become who you truly are in the name of Jesus. All things are moving towards that in creation, clarifying distilling into what they most truly are, their essential nature. The image at the end of Revelation is that of the white stone. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ will give to the overcomer a white stone in which is written that person's true name, but only the person who receives that specific stone in Christ himself will know what that name is. And that's what I'm speaking about metaphorically.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's
1: on that stone? It's the work of my life to overcome so that I can know that, know my secret name that only God and I know this great secret of existence that is unspeakable somehow and beautiful. So that I think is the promise of what meditating on the Spirit's work can do. It can help us and set us free to become who we are in Jesus at a basic level that is the work of life. Very briefly coming back to those kindergarten questions where is god it's so interesting isn't it how at the end of the life cycle of the human life cycle our elders begin returning to those same questions Mm -hmm. it's not accidental they begin acting and asking and i'm not talking about senility and decline that's a separate issue yeah they come back to this place of simplicity And we need to learn from that, because if we are moving toward maturity and wisdom, we begin asking simpler questions, not superficial questions, but really simple ones. And they're the questions we're really thinking, not the questions we're, quote, supposed to be asking, the questions we really have, and it's in those moments that really special things begin to happen. The unpredictable things. The Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the middle mm-hmm. of the night things. Mm-hmm. And Jesus saying, you know, you must be born from above. <laughs> you must be born again. Yeah. Um, and, and I've been talking Nicodemus a lot gives, there. No,
0: no, the Nicodemus gives, it's a perfect, that's, uh, speaking of metaphorical truths, and I don't mean that there's real truth, and metaf- I think metaphorical truth can have its own, its own aspect of truth right but that is that's a perfect metaphor right there because nicodemus does reply with that hyper rationalistic like oh i mean come on like what am i supposed to do crawl back in my mom's womb like what do you yeah, want me to do jesus exactly. and he's like no you're, you're not getting it nicodemus you know? yeah. yeah you're not getting it yeah yeah no that's good that's good um so here's a, maybe you can help me out with a distinction then so um uh, when i I've been helped uh, by you and I've been helped um a lot by um some Eastern Orthodox thinkers and especially artists on a lot of what you're talking about, about that experience of God, right? Mm. Um and like your whole life being lived into God and it, maybe it is my hyper rationalistic baggage, but my tension I'm always like running into. Mm. Maybe you interacted with this as well, because you're you've you've done your seminary training, you've you've made your bones with that in some ways. So, like how how do you avoid the concern that I know so many people are going to be thinking like, well, what is, what is just experience? What is just feeling? What is distracting from truth? Is that a false dichotomy or what is, go- like, what do we do with that? Do you, does, it, does that question make sense? Like, what do we do with, um, are those interactions? Should we be even afraid of those interactions, not being worshipful if they are worshipful, you know what I mean? Hmm. Like how do we yeah. have discernment in these matters, you know?
1: Like, yeah. We're, we're it's going a- about that. It's a really good question. Um, no, I I forget your exact phrasing, but you asked if that if the question doesn't matter or whatever. I actually think that question matters a lot. Those questions come up in us as sort of the theological mind's immune response. Can I allow this idea or this image in, or will it hurt me? Um, and I think that's natural to have, like a, a good intellectual body will will hold those questions and evaluate new information and new ways of understanding information and so we should validate those questions and engage with them honestly however and i'll just speak to ex- from my personal experience here i find that those questions often come from a position of not wanting to change like there's a subtle a subtle shift here that there's a part of the human soul that actually doesn't want growth. And if that is allowed to persist for a while, it can really begin getting entrenched. It can run in specific patterns. You see this a lot with, um, with book buying, right? Mm. And this is really interesting. If you ask most.
0: I won't let my wife listen to this show with, yeah. If you get into too much, like if you poo poo on book buying too much, I can't let my wife listen.
1: Oh Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not at all. Oh, okay. trust me, dude. Have you see my bookshelves? Actually, like, yeah, you got, we have a more, personal yeah, yeah. library of like a few thousand volumes. It is intense <laughs> and out of control. Um, my wife jumped up and down when the cubby bookshelf came yesterday because we would finally be able to move <laughs> our shoe bin from the front living room and instead put in room for more books. Beautiful. Oh no, I'm not doing that. I mean the types of book buying you do. Okay. So a lot yeah, we're like, look, like who's your author? It's been it's C.S. Lewis. Right, and I've been reading C.S. Lewis for forty years, and I'm—he's still my favorite author, and that's fine. That's great. Love it. Um, what else are you reading? Like, what are the what are the paths that we're walking? Are there new places of growth and learning happening? Not even where you're just like believing something different, but just broadening yourself in those ways. And um, so sometimes the question can come from that. I don't want to. I don't want to say too much on this other than just to no. say... Yeah, oh, we can't
0: read people's minds. I'm more meant yeah, from your own experience, yeah.
1: Yeah, so my own experience says that God works in places that we typically don't expect to find God working. Um, and that's really true. Yeah, Jesus okay. is the prime example of that, of course. You mm-hmm. would have expected to find the Messiah in the Sanhedrin. He doesn't get there until they're killing him. Yeah, you would expect to find the messiah in the synagogue we get to see him if i remember right preaching one time in a synagogue (laughs) and what do they do the religious people (laughs) with all the right doctrine all the right doctrine carry him to the edge of a cliff in nazareth and try to throw him off to his death Right. right
0: And that's the genesis of his ministry, at least I mean, if you, if yeah. you consider, I mean, he did some stuff as a kiddo, but from, yeah. from baptism to desert, that, that's the genesis of his ministry.
1: But what did he preach on? The spirit of the Lord has anointed uh, yep. me. Yeah, to preach. And that sense of tension between what we have, the ways of understanding God that we have been given. And this sense, and I, um, I got to be careful saying it, but it's a sense of holy betrayal of our teachers that comes when there's something truly new and fresh. Doesn't mean you're believing something wrong, but it is different. Everything Christ did and preached was consistent with, with what was being taught before. But you had to make a shift, a personal shift, away from being in charge, away from being in power and sort of control of your own religious destiny. It was an act of surrender that reinterpreted the entire faith, where all of a sudden what it meant to be Jewish or to follow the God of Israel in that case was so radically reinterpreted that it threatened the religious establishment at a fundamental level. It was a threat. And they identified that rightly, by the way right? Yeah. They, they did all the right stuff. They, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they got they're all up in a bind, but they couldn't see that there was something changing, that God was doing a new thing, that, you, you know, the few of them who were able to entertain the idea that this was speaking to them uh, in a real way, I suspect did so because their heart and their gut showed them the way before their mind caught up with it. Because oh, you're not
0: even the disciples they're 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 following along, but they're their their mind questions are still they're still like screwing around with a lot of the mind. It, this is a good way of conceptualizing it um, oh, this I is think,
1: good. yeah, I think it is and and again, like you <clears throat> hold all those three domains in tension because the spirit is speaking through all of them, working through all of them um but back to your original kind of original question or the heart behind that question, I think honestly that we overthink things because we're very afraid and we're, we're in a world where God is surrounding us, right? In yeah. him, we move in him, we have our being in him and he's saying, come out and work, come out and play, come out and be with me. And frequently we're like, can I really do that? Yeah. And my answer is, I wanna get better at just saying, oh yeah absolutely, let's go. Yeah. And with Bible in pocket and, uh, you know, uh, Bible in pocket yeah. and a song on my lips, try to chase the spirit into oh, the good. wild worlds that we have. That's good. It,
0: and uh, yeah, that's that's really good. Um, yeah, so um, what was I going to say there? Yeah, oh, I was going to say, I, I feel like there's a I mean, there's been like a special grace on you, dude, and that you did get saved into the world that you did. Um, but you are who you are. I mean, it, it, you here's the deal, there's a lot of there not nah, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are some folks that are speaking a similar language to you. Maybe I'm not taking away from you're obviously smarter than me, you've got more degrees than me and all the rest, but the uh I'll I'll catch up.
1: But but the um, uh don't be silly. Those are <laughs> so silly. But
0: there's there's something to the uh the idea that A lot of people coming at at the angle that you are about more of an experiential angle or however you want to put it that come and play idea they're doing it from a place of hyper reactivity and and oftentimes that reactivity has a a tinge of bitterness in it you know and Mm -hmm. i there's there's none of that in you i I appreciate you giving like (laughs) giving a nod that like hey like i'm not i'm not against intellectual matters and i've got my degrees and i'm not against this stuff but at the end of the day we're 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 a whole person and if we're running on a third You know, we're going to be missing out on something that, something of what it means to be fully human, to be imaging, not just to be made in the image of God, but to image God, right? There's a responsibility there too.
1: Yeah, that's so Um, true. We we live at a time where people are doing very important work, especially around Christianity, uh, that a lot of them term deconstruction. And, uh, you know, the ex-evangelical movement and all these different things that are coming out, more progressive versions of traditional Protestant uh, Christianity uh, and all this stuff. And my frustration with many of these I have zero frustration with the impulses in many cases it's a it's a result or a reaction to very real uh, difficulties abuses, unhealthy patterns yeah. uh, one dimensional patterns like what I ex- described earlier it's fine you want to do better than that it's good in some cases to betray your teachers <laughs> where your when yeah. your teachers have taught you poorly, and in many cases that is the story of so many um you know sort of Young evangelicals of our era—we've come yeah. of age and figured out, for better or worse, um, perhaps we were given some real gifts, and perhaps there were some poisonous things that were among those. Right. Okay, that's fine. We everyone needs to consider that for themselves. But what I have no patience for is when a person is claiming to have left behind that movement, right, or in whatever way, but still is defined by all of the hallmarks. It, they're reacting against fundamentalism and yet they swing to the other polarity and they become as fundamental as anybody. Strict, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and if you're going to find freedom from things that have held you captive, no matter what they were called, no matter if they were theologically orthodox or not, if you're going to find freedom from that, find freedom because Christ will mm-hmm. be in that freedom waiting for you right? Yeah. Don't keep being defined now by having to argue against the voice of your childhood pastor or Sunday school teacher or whoever that person is for you That's that right. you're trying to undo. Do the work of learning something deeper and better, but then you will know you have won that battle the moment that, that those words don't hold any more power over you, that you are free of those beliefs to the point that you can re-engage those beliefs honestly and evaluate them honestly, and in many cases, for these people who are like, and and I've walked my process of deconstruction, I need to say that, I'm saying this from from my perspective, the other side of this, right? You're able to come back and see a truth that was at the center of it. It's different, it's reinterpreted for you perhaps, but you can still, in some cases, almost say the precise uh, words that are there, and yet it means something different. I know that's a bit vague. I don't want to go too far down this line.
0: There's something though, the the idea of the why,
1: yeah, the
0: why behind your deconstruction, it will always matter, right? And uh, if you're you're deconstructing to try and get at and try and figure out like, what are the, uh, let's say... uh, I'm trying to get like artsy cause I'm talking to you maybe, but like you walk through like a house. It was like a builder grade house in the nineties and it's got that emerald green tile going on. Those like weird brass trim brass trim might be back now, but it's got these like these different things. Right. And you may want to tear some of that down and, and update a little bit, but you, you certainly don't want to light a match and throw some kerosene around either. Like yeah. you want to be technical about it. You want to be intentional with it. Right. Because this is a house and it needs to be a home and you're trying to make it a home. And so yeah. you just don't want to destroy it. Um, yeah. In the process or be flippant um yeah because there are some things in there some classical things or some like long-standing things that you don't want to get rid of you know like studs and beams or a foundation (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah
1: i i think that can be true some people are in need of remodeling their their house of faith Mm -hmm. some people are in need though uh and perhaps you know there's an alternative to the match and that is a pilgrimage Uh, I know earlier you talked about wilderness. I do think some people need to leave the house for a while. I think that can be a healthy spiritual moment. Um, And, you know, trying to retain somebody in nominal faith at all costs, when they're going through a moment where they're like, I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore. I don't know if I love Jesus anymore. What I think God wants them to do potentially is go, go. Spend some no, time the, elsewhere. The Apostle Paul isn't see what afraid happens. of that. Yeah. Yes, no, exactly. Yeah. See what and, happens.
0: I know it's it's a little confused and maybe gets abused in its own way. But the Apostle Paul is not afraid of that when he's talking about this. What tends to get just chalked up is um, how we would help, like how we would try and form a theology for church discipline or something, right? But but he, he essentially says what you're saying. He says let let the guy go. You know, if you try, you try a few times. Let the guy go and and, let, and and he. It's the only place you're going to learn the lessons you're talking about. I'm assuming is what you're saying, right?
1: Uh, <clears throat> maybe. So okay. what I'm saying is we need to give permission for processes of of difficulty and wilderness to do their work. And often yeah. when somebody is walking through a period of deconstruction, which I see as being very different from church discipline, right? Right. right. Um, it, when someone's doing that, they need to spend time in quote the desert. Uh, because there's specific work that has to happen out there that can't happen any other way. Um, And so that sense of wilderness is is important. Uh, That sense of being willing to follow um, what your spiritual instincts are saying um, is important. And uh, instinct is important for me. Uh, And I, you know, again, coming from the background that I do, I, I hear all of the whatabouts and what and all of the buts that come in when I even say the word spiritual instinct because, you know, can't they lead us astray? Well, sure. But in general, doesn't your sense of taste tell you what things are nourishing and good for your body to eat? If it mm-hmm. doesn't, you have something so seriously wrong with your sense of taste that you are in need of medical intervention. Doesn't your instinct for sleep tell you something about your need for rest? Yeah, I think it does. Hmm. Uh, So these basic things, when you have an instinct that is saying, I need more beauty in my life, I need more community and friendship. They're always very basic things, right? I need more time by myself in solitude, not loneliness, solitude. Those instincts can be trusted, but we have, we have an experience of Christian faith very frequently in our tradition that dismisses them uh, as something less than, when in reality, if we do that for long enough, we will end up starving, we will end up becoming lost to ourselves. Uh, we must find a better way. We m- must find a more integrative way. We must trust that the spirit making us in the image of God and sealing us into the body of Christ Jesus has given us the ability to really know things in good faith, to really move towards goodness, to really move towards truth. This is not some sort of soft or sappy universalism where anything goes. It's very rich, it's very rigorous, it's very tough. It's rooted and it's strong like an old oak tree. Um, But I don't know if this makes any sense, but it's that sense of instinct that sometimes says to us, go and seek. Go seek me somewhere. And if we follow that on a personal journey, there's no way to predict if we'll come home okay, because a lot of people don't. But we will transform. We will be moved into something new. And occasionally we need that. This is not a recipe for the rest of life. It is a recipe for those crossroads moments where the spirit is calling us out into something. It's different. a good
0: distinction. It's yeah. a really good distinction. So, and I think well, this might be an, an awesome transition. We talked about maybe tracing some themes or, or sort of. There's a couple of things going on here. On the one hand, like the I think the segue is I'll say that first. I think the segue is that deconstruction is five. It can like you said, it can have a purpose and utility, especially as a seasonal like moment, you know, but then where it becomes an overarching or a worldview, it, it became, even becoming its own fundamentalism. Right. Hmm. And, and it is always deconstructing and all the rest. And there's something I, this is potentially too harsh to say, but there's something anti-spirit to that anti capitalist spirit to that because the Hmm. spirit is always creating and bringing life and bringing light and and not just creating, but like, driving if if this if christ is the the clearest image of like trinitarian harmony that we have right um for human beings the spirit is leading christ toward the margin to pull people in he's leading him toward the enemy to call the enemy it's like this because it's a spirit of love right it is what it is and uh love creates it's and i think that's what genesis a big part of what genesis page one is getting after right this Mm -hmm. overflow of the lover, the beloved, and the love communicated, just mm. spilling on that canvas and creating. And so I, I want to talk about, again, and that's I'm not trying to just dunk on deconstruction because I think you're right. There's some utility there. And maybe, so let's do this. Let's talk about the ideas of Genesis because you unpack that really well at the beginning of your book. But let's mm. talk too about the, the purpose of the spirit we talked about before we jumped on here, the Spirit p- drives Jesus toward the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. The Spirit yeah. takes Christ, the perfect God man, into the wilderness. Yeah. Um, and then maybe even we'll kind of land the plane on some of the revelation ideas, right? Like that the sounds idea great. of the recreation. That would
1: be good. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, there's one other beat that I'll add in there. So, yeah, yeah obviously so yeah. In, you- in creation, obviously in creation, the Spirit is present calling stuff out. It's the Spirit of creation. And then Paul's theology especially, but it is historic Christian theology to say that the Spirit never stopped doing that work. It's called sustaining now. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit in and through and among all things is very mysterious. We're not trying to get too uh, scientific or physical about it, but what it means is that all things are maintaining and holding their form. They are what they are because of the Spirit's active presence. Creation, not just as a past past work, but as an ever-present reality with which we can engage and begin to cultivate this reciprocal relationship of inspiration and flow and creativity. You engage with that spirit of creativity and in a very deep sense, like the underlaying pins of like magic, this is the, you know, the will of that creator flows and gives and receives in this incredible exchange founded upon and curated by uh, lady wisdom from proverbs Mm -hmm. so that's the whole that's the whole philosophical conversation in itself but it's how we're engaging so we bustle about the day-to-day world in fact as creatures of wonder in a world of wonders and we just see obviously the things we're encountering as, as very every day, but the reality is they are anything but every day. They're remarkable yeah. spiritual mysteries um, curated for us by God the Spirit. Now, that process went sour, <laughs> right? We call it the fall of man, and we <clears throat> paint all sorts of pictures about Eve and Adam eating an apple, but the basic idea was we took that principle of mutual reciprocity and creation And we made it go wrong. We took the free will that we had been given and we abused it. We turned it to our own ends. Um, Ironically enough, we chased the promise of becoming like God in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. We were deceived and we fell. And so now we live in a world that has all of that possibility. It's all still there, right? The inherent goodness of the world is fully intact, Fully intact. That's scriptural. That's theological. Like that. That is orthodox Christian theology. Agreed. The goodness of the world is fully intact. We are the issue, right? <laughs> we are the burden of creation. And in those places, um, this is where the deconstructionists are actually really onto something right now, because they're pointing out uh, whatever whatever is wrong. Like, this isn't right. This violates the way things should be. This violates justice. Harm was done here or Mm. harm is being done here. That is wrong. And especially in the Old Testament, the spirit is the power of the prophets, right? To speak against those things. And so if you're listening to this and you're in a process of your own deconstruction or you're feeling the need to speak out about some justice issues, get with the spirit and learn. Because the spirit is what will fuel that radiant truth that will always be grounded in love, but is absolutely ferocious against Mm -hmm. anything that stands in the way of that love and that order and that goodness, the way that things ought to be. The Spirit's original vision for this reciprocal world of mutual communion, where the life of the Trinity is shared with this massively diversifying tree of all things, right? Spilling out from God's creation and this ever more complex web of being that we find ourselves in. It's mind-boggling, right? Mm -hmm. And so the Spirit also works to fight anything that threatens that order. Uh, Now, of course, a huge part of that work in the life of Jesus, right, is the wilderness, because certain things are learned in the wilderness that are not related to sin, but are related to stricture, right, Mm -hmm. are related to losing some part of yourself that you felt was essential, so that you can more clearly see what's really there. That was the process of testing that Jesus Christ went through. And while on the surface, there were you know, these basic temptations of these basic messianic domains for him or human domains, the desire to eat, okay, <laughs> that's kind yeah. of an important one, uh, the desire for recognition and the desire for power, all of mm. these are fine and good things, which would eventually be given to him in the proper way, very difficult way. But what that testing did was it revealed something to him about him. It was an initiation. And wilderness moments in our life curated by the spirit, because as you noted, you know, every gospel essentially says that Jesus Christ, the spirit sent him there. Yeah. Marks right. is my favorite because it says it threw him there or yeah, flung him it. there. Yeah,
0: flung him. Yeah, 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 yeah The yeah. Greek word is yeah. ballo,
1: where we get the word ball. Like this, I just picture the spirit balling up yeah. Jesus Christ and like just hucking Chucking, him in yeah. the desert. Yeah, cool. Exactly. That's the word, that type of energy and force and just roughness. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's an act of love too. And in its own way, it's an act of creation because Jesus Christ as a, as a man in his thirties exited that moment of initiation, knowing something about himself on a physical level, he could go for 40 freaking days without food. Mm -hmm. You want it. You want toughness. That says something. You walk differently after an experience like that. Yeah, that's good. But he also had faced down these other realities that essentially had initiated him into his ministry because of their difficulty. And that was the Spirit's work. And of course, we never see the Spirit. Angels come and minister at the end. But Christ feels like he's on his own during that time. And that is the work of the desert. To understand that you are not alone, one, even though it feels like it but then to learn what it means like to act as though it's just you. That's the desert work. And it does something no other time in your life can do. Um, Privation does something no abundance can do for your soul. And that process is hard and it's good. It's why St. John of the Cross, the great Carmelite monk from Spain, wrote The Dark Night of the Soul, where he talks about the fire of purging, not even giving us light during these times of wilderness or or inner difficulty, it's a fire that's dark but it's burning things out of us so that what remains is more clear and more able to enjoy and engage with the lover with the beloved so there's wilderness of course um should we pause there and note anything or or keep going i don't know adam well the, the
0: only the, the only thought i had and i probably will so that's good i probably will forget it later is um this is another thing i've been tremendously helped by from uh, the the older liturgical styles of faith within the Roman Catholics but more in especially the Eastern Orthodox you see this the life of Christ right you see this this tremendous life that does have a, a chronology to it it has sort of a story arc to it but it also is it's a pattern for being it's a pattern yeah. for life right exactly. and there's a reason why you would want to walk through like a liturgical year because you are inhabiting in some sense this cruciform god right so so anyway getting into that idea are there ways so there are certain practices like silence like solitude that are desert-esque right is am i getting on something here? there's something about some mm. some practices can you i don't mean engineer but can you put yourself into spaces and practices that even when you're not in that full throes of being mm. flung into the desert like in that existential crisis or the yeah. extreme deprivation can you yeah. can you do things that get you some of those lessons
1: Absolutely. Um, yes, to be really clear, like I do think there are moments in a human's life of initiation, of soul initiation, where you are offered an opportunity to lose what you thought you were and find a new self. These are difficult, but they're they're almost always bounded by time. Like it's an inner process that the soul just wants, I shouldn't say wants, it longs to go through at some sort of deep level or to move. Devil, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To move into a new phase, usually at Sort of key junctures. End of adolescence is a key one. Beginning of um, middle adulthood, we call it a midlife crisis. Well, actually, that's an invitation to an to a new time of renewal. It's tr- something is triggering and trying to happen in the soul for you during that time. And then towards the end of life, where we move from what we might call um, our generative period to our elder period, there's another moment where this happens, where there's a reorienting of the interior furniture. So those three basic crisis moments are part of the human lifespan. Those are separate from the question that I'm going to address right here from you, which is what can we do to help just practice or be ready for this type of work or this type of energy? You mentioned solitude. Absolutely. Fasting is another key discipline. Uh, And even in the the liturgical year, obviously we have a 40-day fast, a Lenten fast that is built into that so that we have... When such a crisis comes, or when whatever challenge comes in our spiritual life, we have some of the inner resources practiced already to engage those moments or those opportunities with strength. The ability of walking through, just as an example, a Lenten season with integrity is that you know something about yourself on the other side of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if you're if you're engaging it with any sort of um, with any sort of honesty. If it's more than just like, I'm going to be off gluten for Lent or something like that. But
0: if you're having an interaction with the divine, you you can't help it. yeah, yeah. Yes,
1: exactly. And you're you're finding a new sense of dependence in this area where previously, perhaps you just didn't know that you could go without coffee for 40 days. You didn't know that you could go without social media for 40 days. You didn't know that you could go without eating meat for 40 days, except on Sundays, which are feast days in most Christian traditions. Exactly. if that makes sense no, it so, does. Um, so those practices, primarily of fasting and solitude, are vastly 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 important, and there is no other counterpoint
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to my knowledge in there are a tremendous uh, resistance
0: to um, our culture of muchness as well so it, it, on the one hand it, it it prepares you for those i th- i mean you're not the first to say something to that effect that there are some critical life moments and some shifts that happen. And, Part of what makes it a crisis is the fear involved there right for people but um also a resistance there as well and sometimes a preparation can make you l- less resistant it uh, this is tangential but i i um i don't know i don't even i don't think we've talked about this i had i got diagnosed with cancer last year at the end of last year mm-hmm. um and I'm, I'm sort of on the other side of it i've gotten some good news as of late that mm-hmm. um it looks like i'm cured so that's great mm-hmm. uh, What was fascinating is that god had led me I, at the beginning of the year i'll try and take like four visual elements to help spark my prayer at the beginning of the day right mm-hmm. and uh, one was this it was an articulation of me- memento mori the stoic practice right wow. so i had to take the idea of i have a life i was born like everyone else i have a time that i will die like everyone else and the only thing i have in between those two elements is time mm-hmm. and how am i going to and it's like way deeper than YOLO, but like, you know, how am I going to like live every yeah. day as though that could be the last. And so wow. so I'm trying to do that. The And God had led me to do, that was the first element I went through every single day. Right. And, uh, and then that guided the rest of my other three after that. And then I get diagnosed with cancer in nine mm. months. And it was like, I, I'm not trying to be flippant when I say this because, no. and I'm not trying to dismiss the body of believers that really was the body of christ to my wife and i through the season yeah we were prepared we were like I, I really felt like oh i've played this game before because mm-hmm. when you when you do memento mori you, you're supposed to actually meditate on your own death right and so mm-hmm. i would think like okay yeah. how am i going to die it's either car accidents or cancer and maybe like i don't know random things but that's basically it i was pretty i was the healthiest i'd ever been yeah um, and then i really got cancer and it's like I've been thinking about this for nine wow. months, dude. This is wow. like, you know, I'm ready to roll. And it wasn't like flipping, like I said, there was difficulty there, but I felt like uh, challenged, if you will. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like initiated for sure. Like you're exactly.
1: Saying. Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that story, Adam. I'm sure that there, that we could talk for hours just about the lessons and uh, not even lessons, but the the gifts that you took out of that time, as well as I'm sure profound difficulty. Um, but yeah, that's, the, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like that practice of memento mori gave you something like who, who would send a soldier off to war without practicing the basic arts mm-hmm. of war, who would send, um, who would try to hike the Pacific crest trail without practicing <laughs> And it's not going to be the real walk, it's not going to be the real pilgrimage, but you've got to build some of those muscles. Mm -hmm. And so the strength of the historic Christian tradition is that you're not on your own to have to figure all that stuff out, right? Mm -hmm. You learn how to celebrate and you learn how to fast. You learn how to keep vigil. You learn uh, these these basic human practices that make you a stronger soul, a stronger person, and you're doing it in the name of Christ and with connection to the body of Christ. So yeah. that is a very spirit haunted work, but I'm so glad that you, that you invited that and, and shared that with me. Thank you.
0: Oh, yeah, it was uh, well, like I said, we learned a lot. And, and if anything, our experience, our experience with God deepened in so many ways, but the biggest way was the idea of, that sort of hyperintellectual distinction of the body, if you will, like we understand the body, like oh, technically speaking, that's like a great metaphor because people have different gifts. So there's lots of ways we could talk about it, but like the phenomenological like experience of the body, like it was like uh, again, I was trying to make that distinction earlier of like there's like metaphorical truths and real truths. Like people talk in those distinctions, like no, like that was like a metaphorical truth that was more real than real. Like it was like an actual extension of a body of love like surrounded us and cared for us through that season mm-hmm. and like in in the spirit of love it was getting creative too like people we joked earlier about books like people were like mm-hmm. oh well you have it do you need this do you need that I'd be like nope got that got that got that so like a community pulled together some amazon gift cards and they're like well we know oh, that you love to read wow. so it was just like little things like that it, it was like like i said just people overwhelming us with the love of god it was unreal so
1: how incredible
0: yeah. Tremendous experience. Um, difficult, like you said, and there's not, I mean, seems like we might be out of the weeds, but you know, it, there's other things that can come with that, but for, for the most part, it was very meaningful. So, wow. um, well, let's, uh, let's keep going with that though. So we, we talked the, we talked, uh, the Toho of Avohu and like the creation spirit hovering the face of the mm-hmm. deep earlier. We talked about this desert wilderness. You guys, I don't know if you added your addendum yet. Were you wanting to add something mm-hmm. else in there before we got to the idea of recreation?
1: Just very, no, just, well, Pentecost is important, right? Where we're all suddenly welcomed into the body of Jesus. And that is what's happening. The Messiah is expanding on the day of Pentecost. The Christ is expanding. All of Paul's theology in the New Testament is that Christians are in the most, literal is the wrong word, in the most essential sense in Christ. Uh, We are Christ's body. Our work is anointed and though I blush to say it, it's messianic. That's what the Bible says about the work of the church. Paul takes us to the extreme where if we go out right now and sleep with a hooker, right, the body of Christ is being united with that poor woman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. That's intense. And we don't, have, um, we don't have a very close embrace of that doctrine in many Protestant churches, but that union with Jesus is founded by the spirit and the basic idea is now christ has expanded to include all these other people these other anointed people who are doing the work of restoration in keeping with his mission and ministry we're trying to get back as best we can to living in that original way and christianity is a faith of constant paradoxes so you know to say that we are working out this sense of salvation in no way detracts from the salvific work of Christ on the cross or the atonement, all of that is is part and parcel, it's hand and glove, but it is our reality, so our work right now is to learn how to do that well. How do I live in christ well and just as this, the christ's ministry was the spirit's work, it was the spirit on Jesus of Nazareth that made that work work uh yeah. that's where we find ourselves right now and it's important to spend time there and not go straight to the recreation because that's probably where you and i are going to live for the rest of our lives yeah. is trying to work that out with fear and trembling work our salvation out with fear and trembling and we do that through the spirit we do that by knowing ourselves and by knowing god's spirit then of course the final beat is revelation where the spirit is poured out in this fresh new way on the earth and comes from the earth and just like everything changes and is transformed uh, to its end, to its essential nature. Uh, It's recreated, things are restored, and that's not just the creation, although there are some hints that maybe creation will change somehow. I don't understand, I truly don't, but I think the essential Uh, solution will be in keeping with the essential problem which is the human propensity for sin that will be finally set to rest finally purified and we will in uh in an unbelievable new state of being know what it is like to know God and be known by God as our true selves and our true persons in the restoration of all things. And then the fun begins. The real work of eternity begins, where we begin living in the light of that vision. So that's the Christian story, and the Spirit is part of absolutely all of it. It's, it's you know, the Spirit is woven at every turning of that story. It calls us to participate in that story. It allows you and I to walk into our lives and see the touch points where God is present. It allows us to engage with our world in this manner of sacredness and meaning that is so far from the materialistic lies that our culture is saturated with that lead to such hopelessness and such despair. It allows us to move beyond empty religiosity and the silly posturings of religious people into a rich and deeply founded spirituality where we can move with authority and power and joy and freedom. And we don't need to be looking our sh- over our shoulders all the time to see who's judging us because we just don't care anymore. Uh, it, it empowers this new sense of simply being who we were made to be. Uh, and it's in that realization that I think we encounter what I call the face of the deep, the limitless potential, mysterious, sometimes dark on the surface, not evil, just dark. You can't see into it, but it's the spirit getting ready to call something up as if uh, the dove of heaven is looking over its little feathered shoulder and saying, watch this. wanna see something cool, watch this. And um, man, that's a journey we can walk on for the rest of our lives because it's so essential. To the nature of our work and our world mm-hmm. and it's so beautifully intricate that even though we could speak of it and meditate of it for eternity there will always be something new to consider it's truly endless it's truly infinite and from my perspective it's why we're here to know and be known by this great life
0: that's really good dude and and yeah it ties in a lot of what we were talking about too earlier with the um the good and the bad if you will of the some of some of protestant not just protestant but some of just let's say evangelical world like theology of so much of the penalty or the um not just the penalty but the I can't think of the word but the negative effects of sin is this physical death right this return to the dirt and the dust and there's something there is a tragedy to death like that right the, the cessation of being in that sense is it's hard it's a hard thing to think about and contemplate but the more tragic thing to me is and you touched on it at kind of every epoch of your storyline there it's the idea that like we are <laughs> we are meant to be agents and messengers of reconciliation but we're oftentimes agents and messengers of the spirit of cain right this 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 true like deconstruction of life right deconstruction of Um, and resistance to being itself Um, Mm -hmm. and that that can manifest onto other people it can manifest onto the world it can Mm -hmm. manifest all over the place Um, but yeah the the tragedy isn't just that we physically die that is a tragedy but the real tragedy is that we manifest the spirit of death all over the place to Mm -hmm. ourselves which is sad and um, frustrating Mm -hmm. when it's cashing out on other people right Mm -hmm. Um, and and man that's a what I like, we, we talked earlier about um, questions that, that Christians might have, and I'd asked some of our church folks about questions they might have about the Spirit. Yeah. And w- the way you talked through so much of that, it it sort of addressed this idea. We were talking about the tension that oftentimes Christians want, I don't know, I don't know like Bible trivia answers and sort of like uh, mental agility answers to difficult theological questions and that's not all wrong like we said earlier a lot of that's completely appropriate and should be sought out but oftentimes they're not doing it from a place of already experiencing and knowing god through the spirit Mm -hmm. and so um you i think you really have touched on the tension that we need to just get uh i don't know a Mm -hmm. freshness or an experience (laughs) of god that is um -hmm. real that's real that inspires beauty in all the ways you're talking about before like through art and through music Mm -hmm. and through uh creation itself, like looking at mm. a tree and looking at its like fractal nature and like all these mm. things can inspire like worship, mm. right? Yeah. Um through the spirit. And uh we need to have that kind of mm. see those things as interactions with God, right? And have a dialogue with God while mm. we're doing it,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh anyway. Yeah.
1: I love the questions that came over um, most my book does touch on many or if not most of them in one way or another, so questions regarding uh, the gift of tongues, questions regarding the baptism of the spirit these are good and important questions. I do feel that they 're a little beyond my pay grade I mean you know there 's a lot of um, a lot of speculation that we can do and like interpretation that we can do of the relevant biblical texts there and that 's all completely valid. But what my work is, is to try and reorient us, to not forget any of that line of inquiry, but balance it by saying, what what does it feel like to be immersed in the spirit? That's the word for baptism. The word for baptism is, uh, you know, baptizo, obviously, which is to immerse, to dunk. Okay, so how has that been for you? Tell me about that. And um, inquiring into those things tends to reveal... um, tends to reveal where God is at work, these intersections of brokenness and redemption that beautifully form our stories. So um, yeah, I'm very grateful for all those questions that were sent over. The book will address some of them, but then there's also so many fantastic uh, systematic theologies out there that um, can honestly probably do a better job than I can of laying out the the full range of options for you to choose from and the relevant biblical texts uh, if that inquiry is an important part of your journey. And And I think
0: it is important for, I don't mean to take away from the good faith nature, so many of those questions, but there is something to, that's where my mind typically goes in part because that's somewhat how I'm wired, right? I do like entertaining some uh, highbrow and high tower, like level thinking, but man, there is something to, sometimes if I know myself at all, sometimes that is just a a means by which I can avoid the, the experiential and a means by which I can avoid the real Not that that's not real, but a way that I can avoid that gut or in heart, as you were talking about earlier. Hmm. And that's not it's not good. Yeah. When it's Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So anyway, I hope. Yeah, I hope. uh, I hope people buy your book, man. Are you doing a re-release of it? Yes, exactly.
1: So, yep. The re-release came out August 1st. Um, It's a beautiful new edition.
0: Can we listen to your like buttery voice? Are you do you have an audible version?
1: (laughs) I, I do. Yep. Okay. So there's a, a big audio book that the the um, publisher produced has original ambient music score from my brother, Luke. It's really well nice. produced. It's just absolutely uh, a beautiful work. And one of my favorite ways to engage the book, actually. Uh, there's one icon that's been updated by Martin French. So if the icons, which are uh, such a part of the book, the very last one, yeah, the recreation. Okay. Um, just as a teaser, there's uh, one new piece of art to feature there as well. And uh, really, it's very unusual for a book to be re-released so soon after its um, initial release. So I feel very honored that the publisher would take that type of um, care and stewardship to to make that happen.
0: Was this based on your, your desire or theirs? Or who, who was kind of wanting this to happen, this re-release? And was this
1: you wanting to do this? Well, I wanted to, but they initiated the conversation. Okay. Um, speaking yeah. as delicately as, they, as I can, they, they felt they had flubbed the initial release a bit and yeah. wanted a chance to try again. So...
0: Well, in that case, yeah, it's an important book. It's a good book. Yeah, thanks for putting it out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for this conversation, Adam. I'm very grateful for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, are there ways people could and should be following you other than trying to, you know, find you on Amazon or wherever they buy their books? <laughs> like, are there ways yeah. people can keep up with what you're doing? Or yeah, writing? totally.
1: Go to my website, pauljpastor.com, sign up for my newsletter. That's always a good way to be the first to know if anything is coming out from me. I promise I won't spam you. If anything, I say too little in that space rather than too much. Uh, I'm sporadically active on Twitter. So um, if you catch me during a good time, you might find me saying things there. Uh, at Paul J. Pastor is my handle. but uh, Sporadic
0: Twitter is probably the best cadence for Twitter. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I personally agree. And then in the back of the book, I put my P.O. box. I actually love getting letters from people, and I almost always write back. So if you get the chance uh, to send some snail mail, you're always welcome to do that. Um, P.O. box 36, Bridal Veil, Oregon, 97010.
0: Very sweet. Well, thank you for being a pastor from the woods and dialing in with us today. Sure, sure. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, it's hey, been a good you help. you bet, Adam.
1: Oh, it's been, a, it's been good to be here. I hope you're well. Yeah.
0: All right, take care.